Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. Today's podcast is going to be about a number of different uh, questions that came in from the audience as per usual. But to start off, uh, we have an important announcement about the conversation connectors. Now, we did mention this in the previous podcast, but in the show notes right below uh, this uh, either YouTube video or if you're listening on the podcast, uh, it's in the show notes. First thing, the conversation connectors Anki deck and PDF and page where you can go download all of that is now available. Now, for those of you who are already on the Mandarin Blueprint Method course, you're paying subscribers, you're going to get it automatically as a part of that. But if you're one of the many people who listen to this podcast who isn't yet subscribed to the course, um, you can download this very, very useful Anki deck native audio. The pinion is provided, and what the content of the deck is, is Mandarin phrases that allow you to make some time in conversation, sound a bit more fluent, um, also just connect one thing to another. So if I say something like, essentially what this means is, or perhaps uh, what I'm really trying to say, or to tell you the truth, you know, frankly... All of these things are conversation connectors that give you a few precious seconds to allow your brain to catch up with whatever it is that you want to say. Because a phenomenon that happens all the time for beginning Mandarin learners is that you end up in a situation where you would get to the word if you just had a little bit more time, especially when you're in that intermediate phase. You know a bunch of words, but you don't have enough practice yet, so you need a bit of time to kind of... Uh, pull your thoughts together. And unfortunately, in real conversation, uh, if you're saying too many ums and uhs, especially if you're speaking your ums and uhs in English, which aren't the same way they say um and uh in Mandarin, people naturally are just going to kind of interrupt you or try to help you or like, you know, they're just not going to stay engaged in the conversation. But if you say something like, well, to tell you the truth, my opinion on the matter is, you know, you can just say these things that give you that extra time. So link in the show notes right below. That's the first announcement. Now, next, we're going to talk about three emails that came in this week that are all sort of quite interesting. And they all have a slightly different uh, take to them. The first one is from Tatiana. Now, Tatiana is talking a little bit about what her goals are in Chinese, which is something that we talk about a lot, but we haven't talked about that much in the podcast. So her goals in Chinese. So she says, hi, Luke. Thank you for your email. My goals in Chinese involve being able to communicate. I've been working in Shanghai for two and a half years now, and my Mandarin level is shamefully bad. <laughs> Before, I didn't really need it for my work, so this was okay. But for two months, I've been working in a 100% Chinese environment that speaks almost zero English. This is why my first priority is to be able to talk. Of course, if I can be fluent, it would be amazing. I've tried several times to learn with private tutors, but it's been like you said in your videos. You learn for a short time, but then you forget, and so this has gotten me especially frustrated and causes me to drop out after a couple of months. Your method seems somehow revolutionary, or at least I identify completely with all of the challenges and frustrations you have listed on your videos. So I'd really like to give this a try. I don't have much time to study. As I mentioned, I work full time. But the small duration of your videos are really ideal for when I have some free time in a taxi or something like that. So looking forward to hearing from you, Tatiana. Well, thank you, Tatiana, first of all. And, you know, <laughs> it's the, the thing that, you know, sticks out. There's a few things that stick out about this email. The first one is that you said, uh, I've been working in Shanghai for two and a half years now, and my Mandarin level is shamefully bad. Now, 
you know, I'm always on the fence about these types of things because on the one hand, you want to say, hey, there's no need for shame in this conversation. Would you expect a two and a half year old child to be great at the language they're speaking? But on the other hand, I get your point. I know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say, I've been in Shanghai for two and a half years. Shouldn't I be better than I am now? And you realize, oh, maybe I didn't study as much as I could have. or maybe... But then again, sometimes the methods were what let you down. It wasn't necessarily that you yourself weren't committed enough. So that's important to recognize as well. But uh, I know the feeling you're going, you're getting after. It's like, uh, I feel like I should be better by now. Now, the fact that you're working in a non-English environment, 0% English, you know, at the moment, it's overwhelming, but it's actually great news because it means that you'll be able to apply what you learn in the Mandarin Blueprint Method or the Pronunciation Mastery course, which are now all integrated. But um, the fact that you'll be able to apply it so quickly every day, you're going to have opportunities to hear the sounds that you're learning in the Pronunciation Mastery or see the characters that you're learning or the words or see them applied in a grammatical structure. You're going to have so many opportunities, which brings me to the point about attention, you know. Day to day, the more you pay attention, the better your day tends to go because almost all of the things that we that happen to us that are negative are a result of being lost in some other world of thinking and then we miss something that happened and because we missed we missed what our spouse was saying to us or we weren't listening to our business partner or um, you know we missed an opportunity to do something because we were looking at our phone or whatever. It all comes down to attention. And if you can master your attention, your opportunities to learn go up. So what attention does is it increases your opportunities to learn. So if you're paying attention in the Mandarin Blueprint course and then you're paying attention in your office, the opportunities to learn are going to be staggering. But it's, of course, a sort of meta skill to be aware that, oh, I've let my brain go off into some other tangent as opposed to just being in the moment. So, you know, I can always recommend, you know, apps like Headspace for meditation. I've been using Sam Harris's Waking Up app for now uh, about three months or so, and I find it very, very good and different from Headspace. So I can definitely recommend that one as well. So that can be huge. Now, you point about private tutors. Yes. This is what happens with private tutors if you're not using them in conjunction with some other core curriculum. So if you just go to a tutor, unless they're really, really good, they're not going to give you a core curriculum that you understand. They're going to kind of go into the class and they'll have an idea about what they can do to make a class work. But again, they would have to be super high level to take it seriously enough that they're like, okay, I'm going to give you this core curriculum that I know works that's based on a bunch of scientific research for language acquisition. I'm going to let you in on what we're doing and I'm going to give you the materials and present it to you in a very integrated and systematic and linear way. Good luck finding that tutor. It's not very likely. In all likelihood, they're going to be like most people. They're going to go, what can I do to get through this hour so that I can deserve to be paid to some degree? And they're going to do whatever the minimum amount is that will cause them to qualify still as a tutor and go from there. And I'm I'm clearly not saying all tutors. I'm just saying that's probably the majority of tutors. Um, And, you know, I've certainly been there when I was an English teacher when I first came to China back in 2011. Wow. So that type of thing happens all the time. So when you're working with tutors, it can cause you to feel like, where's the progress really? Like it's like two steps forward, one step back, or sometimes two steps forward, two steps back, three steps forward, two steps back. It's like, it feels like you're not making much progress at all. Now, 
then you say, um, <laughs> your method seems somehow revolutionary. <laughs> and, you know, that's a really nice compliment to say. I don't know that that's the way that it's the right way to see it. I do think that there's never been anything like it before. It's just everything builds off of what was previously there. There's no way we could have done the Mandarin Blueprint method if it weren't for a number of incredibly innovative people in the past in the Chinese learning world, and also not just Chinese learning world, the memory champion world and the uh, uh, the habit building and motivation world and all of that. You know, there's so much of what, and, and you know, in my case, I've studied a lot of philosophy and psychology in my life. And so like that has helped a ton with the Mandarin blueprint method. And so if out of that concoction of a bunch of really cool and awesome innovations of people in the past, we managed to pull out some new innovations. I mean, you know, we have a patent pending character learning order and stuff. So there's definitely some innovation in there. You know, I certainly hope it'll be revolutionary. And I think that uh, when it comes down to it, if you can learn characters really quickly, it's going to make Chinese a lot easier. And I think in the future, people will start to see Chinese as, oh, yeah, that's that language that has that, you know, you have to learn all these characters, but geez, it's so easy once you do. That's how I want people to see Mandarin in the future, because that's the truth. All right. So thank you so much for your email, Tatiana. And let's move on to an email from John Sprague. And John is uh, has been sending us some great emails recently. He's a lifetime uh, subscriber to Mandarin Blueprint. So thanks again, John, for signing up to the lifetime access. And I'm always so happy to to read his emails. Now, he's in a really interesting situation, which is kind of the opposite of Tatiana's email just now, which is that he has a lot of time to study because he works at a job where he can actually study on the job. So that's always an ideal situation, right? If you're working and you have to be focused on your work, he's a, he works in a situation where I believe it's in security. So a lot of his time is like, all right, I just have to be here in case something happens, but the majority of the time, nothing happens. So um, we had, he had sent us an email wondering about the, how to practice the finals in Anki cards for the pronunciation mastery. And this gave me pause. Cause I was like, wow, we have over a thousand Anki cards in pronunciation mastery. I wonder what he means. And then I realized that what he meant was he's looking for something that has the common sounds in the language that you could practice together. And I realized, oh, he hasn't discovered the EPUB files in pronunciation mastery. And so in Pronunciation Mastery, at every um, review session with Annie Laoshi, the there is a download for an EPUB file. And that EPUB file has the finals, uh, the, the final that was just covered, with every possible initial and a common word so the, and an audio file so that you can practice them together. So, for example, you can go, you know, bao, dao, tao, tao. Chow, you know, shao, these various different all AO, but with different initials, and you can practice the problem initials and all of that. And the idea here is that you can use that EPUB to practice and get really down the 35 finals that are in Chinese. And then, of course, by, uh, you know, osmosis, you'll also be practicing the initials. And so he hadn't seen these, and then, you know, he realized, oh, I did miss the EPUBs. So here's his email. He says, the EPUBs are exactly what I was lacking and exactly what you described. Perfect. I think I need to, oh, I don't know, follow directions better and read all the stuff you provided and do what I'm told. <laughs> I'm practicing from them. I will do them as my warm-up for my nightly study routine. So 
I want to pause here for a moment and go back to my comments about this because when he said this, I was like, this is awesome, right? I will do this as my warm up for my nightly study routine. And that's, you know, kind of on the vibe of how do you get into the right frame of mind? How do you get into flow state when you're studying? And for some reason, we don't have a problem with the idea of uh, you get up in the morning, you need a transitional period of time before you're ready to like really hit the day. You were just sleeping. Now you're awake. There's a transitionary period necessary. Okay. You go to exercise. What does everybody say when you exercise? You got to warm up first. You can't just go right into your heaviest deadlift without any warm up. You're going to get injured, right? You need to get your body prepared. Well, why wouldn't the mind be the same way when it comes to study? Yet for some reason, we tend to a lot of times not really warm up into it. And then it's almost like you overwhelm your mind and you sometimes the study session doesn't last as much. So the warm up period can be something that is very casual for you. So for example, Anki cards are something that uh, have a number and you want to get to the bottom of that number every day. And so there's some level of pressure with it. So maybe don't use Anki cards as your warm up. Or if you feel very relaxed about Anki cards, use them as your make them your warm up as opposed to learning from new videos, say. Uh, and then get yourself into that frame of mind. Once you're in that frame of mind, then watching a new video, doing some more Anki cards, practicing in a more diligent type of way will feel easier because you're not just forcing yourself into the heavy deadlift right off the right off the bat. Okay. So continuing with John's email, he says, I'm very lucky. I work four nights a week, nine to six for an outrageous sum of money. Very solitary and quiet at night. I have a solid six uninterrupted hours, four days a week. I pace myself taking breaks, but I have been studying hard and less tired. <laughs> finished Luke's pronunciation series. I had started your memory palace series before I had finished Luke's series. I mean, it's not like Luke or myself have uh, any ownership of either of these series. But yeah, like Luke teaches the pronunciation mastery because he's got sick pronunciation. All right. I've taken to downloading movies in Chinese. Excellent move. I have already found that older movies and movies in Cantonese are not of any value to me. Um, however, more modern movies in Mandarin are. Not only can I now clearly hear individual words. I even catch a few words I know. But I'm getting a little more culturally appreciative in a non-academic, organic way. I'm not sure if I'm being clear. No, you're absolutely being clear. That makes perfect sense to me. And again, just like how Tatiana is going to be able to have loads of opportunities to recognize Chinese by, the, by virtue of the fact that she lives in a 0% English-speaking, 100% Chinese-speaking environment – She's going to get that automatically, but for those of you who don't have that, don't think you can't get it. You just have to turn on some Chinese movies, turn on a Chinese podcast, have something available to give you the opportunity to notice. That's what it's about. It's not it's just creating opportunities. Like it's not saying that this will do X clearly objective thing. That's what we try to do with Anki. That's what we try to do with the Mandarin Blueprint method. But there's a level that sort of surrounds everything about your Chinese in uh study that is about the environment and the possibilities to pick up on new things. So essentially what John's doing here by downloading some movies is he's increasing his likelihood of understanding this stuff. And of course, if he's sitting for six hours a night with these uninterrupted, this uninterrupted time when he doesn't feel super study uh, motivated, he can just have the Chinese movie on and, you know, pay attention to that. 
He says to me, as a drummer, you'll appreciate this. I observe one difficulty second language English speakers have is that even if their pronunciation is perfect, their word groupings produce the wrong cadence to a sentence and make it difficult for native speakers to understand them. Listening to movies should give me a potential sense of those rhythms. Off to study on lesson 56. I noticed I only have another 2,000 to go. Thank you, John. So, yeah, that's absolutely true about how there's the movies, the the podcasts, all that stuff. What it ends up giving you is a more a sense of a more natural flow to the language. And when you hear, especially Chinese people learning English, because they're learning in a too academic environment, they end up missing those subtleties about like cadence and rhythm and how people would naturally say something. You know, hello, how are you? As opposed to, hey, how are you? Right? Like there's sort of a sense of that type of how you'll flow words together and how you might um, quickly transition from one topic to the other and where you're going to emphasize things. Chinese has a bit more of a cadence and rhythm to it. That's It's a bit more objective than English, but still there's a lot of stuff that'll come across naturally just by the flow and tone of voice. So it's not really possible to academically study that without getting super into the weeds. You'd be like, okay, well, today we're going to study when you've uh, just woken up and your uh, girlfriend is slightly annoyed with you and you're kind of in a bad mood. And then she suggests that, you know, you haven't made the coffee yet and what's wrong with you and you want to snap back at her in, in annoyance. Like, it's like you'd have to get so into the weeds of the specific emotional situation that is far less productive than merely making your environment provide those for you at all times you're watching tv you're watching a movie you're watching the you're listening to a podcast here's that weird subtle situation that you could have tried to learn consciously just learn it through osmosis all right and then uh, he mentioned the uh, only 2000 to go but here's the thing you know it's like don't worry about the finish line ever don't ever worry about the finish line because there is no finish line newsflash there's definitely no finish line with chinese you're never going to learn all of it right now there is a, I have no problem getting along in society in China. There's, I can handle business. There's all these things. But, you know, even I can handle business. I've, load, I've done loads of business in China uh, since being able to speak Mandarin. But were there times where I probably could have taken business farther had my Chinese level been better? I have no doubt. Like it's, it's you're always in a position where you could improve your skill. And then Chinese is sort of like the, the thing that allows you to pursue that skill. So it's like a meta skill, you know, all language is really a meta skill. It's the uh, fundamental sort of tools we use to communicate basic stuff. All right. So one more email, uh, and then we're going to get into some of the more specifics from the people on the course. So uh, this email is from, it's either Aja or, or Aga or Aga. I'm not sure which um, country she's from. So I hope that I'm uh, at least one of those is correct. So anyway, I'll go with um, Ega for now. Ega says, Hi, Luke and Phil. I am currently based in China for work. So yes, speaking and understanding is something I really want to do. Even more awesome would be to pass some levels of the national exams, but that is a song of the future. <laughs> I love that way of phrasing, that turn of phrase. So, yes, the answer is yes, and it will make me my outside work and life a lot easier, though WeChat translations and offline Google Translate are helping me a lot. But I feel I'm missing out on so much more by not being able to browse Chinese sites, local information, events, etc. And, of course, from a work perspective, learning Mandarin will be hugely useful. And so 
Aga is essentially talking about what it is that she'll be able to do once she can speak Mandarin. It's like, yeah, you can do all that stuff. I take for granted how easy it is for uh, me to go around Taobao or, or order things online or, and you know, there's English versions of some of these apps, but they're not as good. It's actually, they usually have problems. The English isn't clear and I'd rather do it in Chinese. It's more fun. You know, Hey, for any of you who have the cojones to do it, change your operating system to Chinese. Whoa. You gonna do that? Whoa. It's like a kid. Think about a kid when they're going to play on the computer for the first time and they have to figure it out. You know, they're just going to figure it out. They're going to click things. They're going to try things. They're going to see what happens. And sure, it's slower than if it's in your native language. But sink or swim, you're going to figure out what's going on with the language. And the more characters you know through the Mandarin Blueprint method, the easier it'll be. And, of course, the more you'll realize, oh, my gosh, this language is the best. It's so simple. It's so clear. So glad to hear that the plan for Aga there is to take advantage of the things that make life easier when you know Chinese in China. So obviously she's in China, but still, nonetheless, though, for even those, uh, for those of you outside of China, I mean, there's so many opportunities to speak to Chinese people and enter into some kind of business negotiation. As a matter of fact, Chinese people who are overseas are in all likelihood either studying, it, um, which, you know, may or may not be, it's certainly good for speaking practice, um, or they're doing business. And if they're doing business in your country, well, you know, they'd be happy to talk to somebody who can speak Chinese. That alone might be the, th the thing that gets you in the door into some new opportunity or venture. And uh, which is, of course, her final point about work. So great to hear from you, Ega. And, uh, you know, best of luck. I hope that you're able to uh, get a lot out of the course. So now, have a little tea. For now, we'll go to the part of the course where we're answering uh, comments that came in during the week. As always, we start with the suggestions for props and actors and sets. So what the heck are props, actors, and sets? Well, there are links in the show notes below explaining what all this stuff's about. But short version, a prop is a visual representation of a character component, just like this microphone could be a representation of a character component for for example, the character component for speech might be this microphone that in my mind's eye, and that would be fine. And so essentially what's been happening for the past uh, several months that we've had the course running is that people have been making their own suggestions of what objects might represent a character component or a radical uh, pretty well, what makes sense. And there's two ways to think of it. One is based on how the actual radical looks. Does it look like a real life object? Or what is the meaning of the radical? And how could we think of an object that exemplifies that meaning? So first we have from William Edmedes, of course, because William's been smashing it. He's got a testimonial, by the way, uh, on our website. You can check that out. William Edmedes on pick a prop for Shep. And this is the... Um, the character that means like a, a hole or a cave. It's like something that's born bored into a wall. And he says, I'm going with a basketball hoop, uh, but a shovel could be another option as well. So a basketball hoop, of course, would be a hole that you could get something in. And then, of course, a shovel would dig a hole and create one. So perfect. Perfectly fine options there. Next, we have Will Henry on pick a prop for um, – this is, this is for – cow but there's a version of the cow uh, component that you'll see in the show notes that only shows up on the top of a character and an example of a character that uses it that way would be gao in gaosu which is a very common word which just means to tell you i'll tell you something and that gao 
has this top component that has the um the it's like the half of a cow basically and so will says a taxidermied cow head well sure i mean if you can imagine that in your mind's eye that's fine um will henry on pick a prop for jiao which is this means some kind of a horn right so it's like uh you know, uh, an antlers on a deer or something. But of course, horn is a, an, you could also say a uh, horn, like a trumpet or a tuba. And that's exactly what he suggested here. Maybe it could be an instrument like a trumpet, a French horn, a trombone, or a tuba. And for me, I would definitely pick a French horn. I love the way French horn sounds. It's awesome. Actually, there was a, uh, a girl in my high school who was the first chair all-state French horn player. And she would play sometimes and practice um you know, near me when I was practicing my percussion instruments. And it was just always so beautiful. I love that instrument. And that kind of emotional connection to an instrument uh, is the type of thing that will make it easier to remember the prop, you know. Uh, so great suggestion there. Next, we have Jennifer Koch on pick a prop for either Zheng or P. The second, uh, the second uh, component that's pronounced P, it's basically just a modification of the component Zheng. And so Zheng means accurate or precise, so we originally suggested a sniper rifle because we were like, a sniper rifle is super precise. And then since the other one is a modification uh, of this one, we're like, well, if you modified something that was precise, so it's still generally the same thing, but it's a little less precise, why not a rocket launcher? Because it's also a projectile weapon, and so you got the sniper rifle, rifle is very precise, that's the normal Zheng, and then the one that's slightly modified is a rocket launcher. That was our original thinking. Let's see what Jennifer said. This prop was hard for me to choose. I have no idea about weapons, so I could not go with the suggestions. Perfect. Yeah, see, like, our suggestions, of course, are never going to be perfect, which is why I'm so happy that people are giving their own. Uh, <laughs> she says, I absolutely don't know which gun shoots more or less accurate. Exactly. So she'll need to pick something else. So I chose a school table with a stool for Jung because you have to listen accurately to what your teacher has to say when you're in class. For P, I chose a hammock because P, it looks a little bit like a hammock under a tree. And you cannot sit straight or so accurate in a hammock. So perfect. I love that. So she got fundamentally that our suggestions came from the meaning of accurate. So we had, we have something accurate. What comes to our mind with accurate? Well, uh, you know, we've seen lots of action movies, uh, Luke and I. So we're like, okay, a sniper rifle and a you know, sniper of some sort. I remember I saw um, that movie with uh, Jude Law and Ed Harris. Gosh, I, Enemy at the Gates. It was all about a sniper, sniper rifle guy that Jude Law, Jude Law played uh, in World War II. And then, you know, so that really sticks out to us. But for Jennifer, it doesn't stick out to her. But she, she still gets that it fundamentally needs to come down to here's something that's an accurate version and then here's something that's less accurate in the same sort of category. So she's she's thinking about it the right way. Next, we have Julian Laffey on pick a prop for – this is um, uh, a prop that has three dots at the top and then the roof component below that. And so or – or you could say it's the roof component with horns added on. But either way, there's three dots at the top and then a little you know roof uh, below it. And Julian Laffey said, well, how about a Native American headdress? And that comes to mind for him. And so I guess – I know that Julian is Australian, so he must, there must be some like – uh, Native American portrayals. I mean, like, sure, the Native American headdress is very uh, iconic. So uh, I just didn't realize that, that had made it made its way over to Australia. But then again, Julian's a very educated guy, so makes sense. 
Connor Griffith on Pick a Prop for Look, which is kind of like uh, – we recommend a hatchet because it sort of looks like a hatchet. But Connor recommends a sigh. Why not? That's another form of a uh, uh, cutting type of weapon. I bet Jennifer Koch wouldn't really know. But, uh, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Connor Griffith again on Pick a Prop for uh, the, the component that means road or red carpet. He said, I got to go with the freshly paved road just for the smell it gives off just awful right and so that's a good example of using making an extrapolation from our suggestion we say okay this this character means movement so we recommend a road and he goes yeah but let's add in some sense of smell to this and have it be the road specifically that was just paved because i can recognize that smell so easily well done connor on that one next pick a prop for ya which is uh tooth like the idea of the sun uniform from the Jimmy Dean commercials. I got to go with a tooth costume here. Okay, so I haven't seen those uh, sun uniform Jimmy Dean commercials, so I'm going to have to go with your uh, word for it. But then the thing about it is that, you know, I've remembered things from Geico commercials that other people haven't seen. And, you know, a commercial actually, if it's done well, if it's a memorable commercial, like it's one of those Super Bowl commercials that got a lot of uh, press or whatever – those there's something about them that must be memorable otherwise we, we wouldn't still be talking about them they're freaking ads like we're not going to be interested in them unless they have something really memorable about them so that's great uh you know if you remember an ad you can almost uh guarantee that it'll be effective in helping you in the hands of movie method william and Meadie's on pick a prop for dao which means a uh, knife by itself and uh one of the versions of dao as a prop is a component that is like two lines it's basically like the the stick and then the hockey stick right next to each other and so we recommended a knife and a sword and so the sword being for the secondary prop for the sword theme I'm going with uh, Sting from The Hobbit, but other notable suggestions could be a Minecraft sword, Excalibur, or the Sword of Gryffindor. So he's basically specifying a few well-known swords that come, you know, from uh, uh, various places in pop culture. And uh, yeah, I remember Sting from the uh, from The Hobbit and from Lord of the Rings, how it glowed blue, and that's a that's a um, characteristic that makes it particularly memorable. Uh, and then, of course, but yeah, like the sword of Gryffindor, Excalibur. For me, um, the, uh, the the sword from uh, Legend of Zelda, uh, I remember there was the, the Goron sword, which is like you had to, in Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. That's really specific, so <laughs> most people won't know that. Sandy on Pick a Prop for the hockey stick. She says, okay, actually a crochet needle, right? Because I think a crochet, right. Yeah, exactly. A crochet needle will have that little, like, jutted out part at the end, just like this component. Great. Awesome, Sandy. By the way, Sandy is doing a 65-day uh, Mandarin Blueprint Challenge where she's going to see if she can pass the HSK-3 after 65 days in the course. And so she's doing really well. She's, um, I guess, uh, maybe less than 20 days in at this point, and she's gotten through the first section of the course. And, you know, she had around level nine. She sent us an email being like, oh, I'm not so sure if I'm remembering things properly. And I was like, hey, that's the feeling. We all get it at some point. If you're going to start learning Mandarin, if you're going to start playing drums, this happened to me when I was like, you know, 10 years old. That's a crucial moment. When you have the doubt come in, you go, is this working? I don't really know about this. This seems hard, right? That's a really important moment because 
if you persevere, in my experience and many other people's experience on the course and you know people I've just seen throughout life, you never have that come up to the same degree again. Usually the first time it comes up is the strongest. Now, of course, you're going to have times in the future where you feel a bit frustrated and you feel like, oh, I'm not making as much progress. But the first one, it's like a, do I even want to do this type of doubt? And if you can get over that, do I even want to do this doubt and just go, well, you know, the way to do it is just to say, hey, yeah, okay, if you want, if you really want to quit, fine, but you better come up a few more times. And it's got to be equally as emotionally powerful. Like I, it comes up, ah, I don't I just want to throw my hands up and quit right now. If that comes up once, persevere. If that comes up twice, still persevere. If that comes up three times, maybe listen to it. But, and then four times, definitely listen to it. If you, if you by the fourth time are still like, forget this, then it sounds like it's just not the right thing for you. But certainly don't do it the first time. And Sandy didn't. She persevered and she sent us an email a few days later like, oh, I'm so much more confident now. I'm happier. I, I'm so excited. She was excited because now she realizes, oh, I'm going to succeed at this. And that's when you go, boom, got it. And that was the same thing for me with drums. I remember it was a, a drum beat. I just couldn't do it. And I was like, oh. And my parents were like, look, you're not quitting. We bought you a drum kit. You know, you, you don't quit yet. And I was like, okay. And then I got the drum beat down. And when I got the drum beat down, like, I was like, you know, I think I'm going to be able to do this. And then done. Never doubted it again. So great job, Sandy. William and Meaty's on Pick a Prop for R. So going with the extendable ears from Harry Potter that allow the user to listen in on a conversation they wouldn't have otherwise been able to listen into. Well, perhaps you could uh, use some NSA uh, analogy there if you wanted to as well. But yeah, I remember the extendable ears from Harry Potter. Those are a great choice. And of course, R means ear. That's what the prop means. So perfect. Liam Wilkinson on pick a prop for Tien. So this is when we turn Tien into a prop, and that means sky or or a day. And so Liam says, I already have doors and clouds as other props in my scenes, so I think I might mix those up with pearly gates. Yeah, because we recommended pearly gates as the uh, – because Tien can also mean heaven. So it's like sky, heaven, day, sort of in the same conceptual framework. So he says, I'm going to go with Sky Vodka. <laughs> I've not had much of it myself, but it has that distinctive dark blue bottle, and I think it could be funny to cause characters and scenes to be drunk and do things they usually wouldn't. Yeah, great idea, Liam. I never even thought about that. Like, I've had, I think I've had scenes where characters were drunk, but they were just drunk for whatever reason. If suddenly you can use uh, <laughs> Sky Vodka as the reason they're drunk, it. You know, because if they're drunk for no reason, then you might in the future go, why are they drunk? But if they're drunk because they used a prop for what it's supposed to be used for, that means you're going to remember the prop. You see what I'm saying? So, like, you're just increasing the likelihood that you'll remember it. Awesome. Sick. Connor Griff Griffith on pick a prop for Shung. This means above. First thing that comes to mind is a fire hydrant. I can imagine it shooting off and the water going up in the air. Yeah, because a fire hydrant goes above the ground for what is mostly below the ground, and it kind of looks like it. You know, it's a, the, this is probably more based on the how it looks. So that's awesome. Fire hydrant, awesome. Next, we have William Edmides on pick a prop for Jal, which means to beckon or summon. We were like, summoning things is a thing that wizards do all the time. Or you could have a jury summons, I suppose, but that would... That would mostly just be an emotional prop, like, oh, I got jury summons. Um, but uh, they, we said, you know, pick one of your favorite wizards, you know. And so he went with Albus Dumbledore because he'll be able to summon things to him with the summoning charm. 
Next, we have Aaron H. on the pick a prop. This is the same one that Jennifer Koch brought up earlier. Uh, so it's that idea of accurate and not and slightly less accurate. Uh, so this is for Jung and P. Uh, okay. After going to thenounproject.com and searching the word accurate, one of the icons in the result was a tuning fork. Okay. Uh, that makes sense. Sure. Yeah, a tuning fork makes sure that you're in tune, that you're playing the right note. Okay. This then gave me the idea to use a tuning fork for Jung and a mechanical metronome for P. Both represent accuracy to me and the little um, sort of person-like looking thing at the left side of P. Uh, sort of looks a little bit like Ren. Like the part at the bottom of P looks like the swinging motion a metronome makes. Okay, great. So she's just saying two different versions of accurate. You have the mechanical metronome, which sort of looks a little bit like P. So we'll add that to the P section. That's great. Wow, awesome. And also the nounproject.com. I'm going to take note of that. That looks awesome. Wow. Holy crap, the noun project might be a huge boon to uh, Mandarin Blueprint. So when Tatiana was saying she thought our course is revolutionary, hey, we're more than willing to look at something like the noun project and uh, get help from that. You know, it's like we're it's more of an eclectic collation that has a few innovative ideas on top of it. That's what Mandarin Blueprint is, I tell you. All right. Next. Connor Griffith again on pick a prop for Jan, which means to occupy. But it does kind of look like a bottle of perfume. Perfume occupies your stench. So he's going two levels on it. So it looks like a bottle of perfume, but he's saying, but the meaning is occupy. And of course, perfume occupies your stench. Your stench won't survive its occupation with perfume. Uh, so I have wished in the past. Okay, so Connor Griffith on pick a prop for shirt, which means uh, to be or is. I feel like a guru would also be a good prop to use as they are being in the moment. And this character kind of looks like a person. Yeah, I guess I could see that. Maybe a guy sitting in a yoga pose or something. My prop is going to be Alan Watts. What a choice. I will I will go with that. And, of course, Alan Watts, his, you know, probably if you could say what his kind of basic claim to fame is, is that he brought Eastern philosophy to the West in a pretty significant way. And so that's exactly what you would want to be in Eastern philosophy is in the moment where you can pay attention and get opportunities to learn new things. It all comes full circle here at the Mandarin Blueprint Method. All right. Next, William on the pick a prop for Jing, which means well, but it kind of looks like a um, a pound sign or the hashtag sign. I'm sticking with the default well, but some notable ideas could be a musical instrument or artist as uh, Jing looks like the musical notation of a sharp symbol. Yep, that's true. It also uh, resembles a hashtag, so it could be an Instagram model, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, sure, you could pick your favorite Instagram model. I, I hear that's a thing, um, but uh, never was really much into it. I'm still, seriously, I'm still amazed that our Instagram is doing so well because, again, I never used it before. That's one of the things that will happen when you live in China for a long time. It's not that I can't get to it if I need to through whatever means I might need to, but you don't tend to be as like excited to participate in Western uh, social media or Western websites uh, because, you know, it's just an, an extra step to get there. And sometimes that little extra step, it's like, ah, eh, just use the Chinese stuff. The Chinese stuff is cool and it makes me practice Mandarin. 
William M. Meade's on pick a prop for Shen, which is the uh, means mountain. And of course, he went with the mountain from Game of Thrones. Of course, of course. He's awesome. That's a perfect. It's better than an actual mountain. <laughs> but you could also imagine a mountain uh, as well. But yeah, the mountain from Game of Thrones, of course. Mel on pick a prop for horns. So she says, um, from St. Louis, California can keep the Rams. <laughs> All right, because I mentioned that <laughs> you could pick the St. Louis Rams. Uh, but then I think I said, like, uh, oh, now the Los Angeles Rams. And she said, I'm from St. Louis. California can keep the Rams. <laughs> yeah yeah good you probably like that they lost the super bowl last year then will henry on pick a prop for sure which means like a sort of history and he went with indiana jones and so like that makes sense sure because he was uh searching through uh historical sites and yeah that's that's perfectly fine william and meaty's on pick a prop for guo a wumpa fruit because guo means fruit a wumpa fruit from the game crash bandicoot well I thought it was going to be from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory with a name like Wumpa Fruit, but I guess that was a an element of Crash Bandicoot. Well, I remember that game. Never played it, I don't think, but I remember it. William, last prop. Make a movie for doll. I'm sticking with the default knife handle, but some other good ideas could be a guitar clamp or the head and trigger for those cleaning sprays like Ajax or Spray and Wipe. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of, yeah. That's what it looks like. I've never thought of it like that. See, what would I do without you guys? That's perfect. So it does kind of look like that little uh, clamp from Ajax or Spray and Wipe. Yeah, and yeah, guitar clamp. Absolutely, definitely looks like a uh, like a K. Um, what are they called again? Kato's? No, Capo. That's what it was. Capo. Um, Kato's like the Kato Institute. All right, we had a few actor suggestions this week. Actors, what the heck are they? Again, in the show notes, look at the blog post. We wrote about it. You can read all about it if you don't know what an actor is. But actors are essentially the person representation of a pinion initial. So you imagine a person, and then you know, oh, that person's name is Paul. So this Chinese character starts with P. Like, for example, Paul. So if you were... Paul in your AO set and you're outside the entrance, guess what? You visualized a pronunciation. You just visualized letters so that you remember a Chinese character forever just by imagining a person in a place that you can bring to mind instantly. That's pretty awesome. Okay. Ernesto on casting call 2 of 55. He said uh, in reply to Sandy, because Sandy's comment was, if you can't remember anyone with G now, search your contacts or Facebook friends. It's really helpful, and I found many options I can choose. And Ernesto said in response, LOL, I thought the same thing. Pulling out the Facebook app and looking at my friends list. Have to pick wisely. They're going to help me learn Chinese. Oh, I love it. I love this sort of like interaction. I never thought to look at your Facebook friends list. Guys, look at your Facebook friends list to pick actors. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Well done, Ernesto and Sandy. That's warmed my heart. All right. Daniel Leo Simpson on casting call for T, which is 19 to 55. Hey, Rick, what's going on? Rick is my mouth. Mouth. <laughs> so, Daniel on casting call for T, uh, 19 to 55. Cheech and Chong, of course. Uh, 
<laughs> he goes, oh, wait, that won't work for female, will it? LOL. And of course, you can come up with ex- exceptions on this. Now, T, yeah, usually we say go with a uh, uh, a female because we have the um, I sound. And it's just a quick way to differentiate. It's like, okay, female person, male person. If it's a female person, you have the E sound somewhere in the pronunciation. It's a quick, like, you know, categorical distinction. Um, but... If you chi chen chong, you know, chi, it sounds so much like the QI that maybe you can make an exception in this point, uh, in this case. So, again, all that matters is that you remember. If you can remember, then go with it. Um, you know, generally speaking, I would say go with a female. And uh, final one is uh, John Sprague on casting call for NI. I think I remember this. Uh, <laughs> when I shot the video, I. Um, said that Nicki Minaj would be a decent choice for NI and then apparently I glanced away down to the left for a long pause and then said ostentatious in her lifestyle which is why she might be easy to remember and John thought said what a polite description of her appearance sir (laughs) so thanks for the input John as usual all right now let's get into some actual full scenes so again hey look at this in the show notes below there are some articles about what this all means so if you don't know what we're talking about hey read those articles and if you really don't know what we're talking about you can always do the mandarin blueprint method course it's amazing so all right movies first one sandy on make a movie for zhi or zhi all right so she says the only thing i can think about is the song only you can make this world and of course the meaning of the character is only so the scene is as follows My male actor, John, is trying to sleep in my childhood bedroom when the Rolling Stones mouth is trying to get him to stay awake with her dramatic, you are the only one I got. And that's when the song plays in the background. But then a spider walks under the Rolling Stone mouth. So it was terrified in a funny way, causing the male actor to laugh really hard. So the meaning is represented by the song. The bottom component is represented by the spider. The top component is represented by the uh, Rolling Stones mouth. The childhood home represents the bedroom of the childhood home represents third tone. And the childhood home itself represents that there is no final. And then John represents the ZH. So everything's there. And as long as you remember, uh, you know, that the meaning of the scene is related to the song, which it should be, then uh, you'll be great. That's a great scene. William and Meaty's on Make a Movie for Chuan, which means to wear, like you Chuan Yifu, put on clothes, Chuan Yifu. I've got Chewbacca, representing Chu, outside the entrance of my AN set. So outside the entrance is first tone, AN is the location, Chuan. And the props are the basketball hoop on top and dentures, which is the uh, uh, tooth component below. Basketball hoop and dentures. Poor Chewie is shivering outside without his fur coat on. He looks around and notices a basketball hoop next to a sign saying, Slam dunk this hoop to win a furry coat. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Chewie promptly takes out his dentures, (laughs) because he has dentures, and slam dunks the hoop like Mike. And a section of the wall goes back, revealing Chewie's iconic fur coat. He quickly wears his coat looking all snug and roars in delight. Yeah, I like it. I mean, you know, it. my initial instinct is to say, oh, there's a sign in this with words, and words aren't really good to remember. But 
it doesn't really matter because you could just be like, you know, maybe the sign has a bunch of lights on it and it's pointing towards the uh, basketball hoop. You can delineate. That's probably a prize. There's probably a prize somehow. When he takes off his dentures, I would recommend using slow motion for this for sure. So he's like, and some intense angles. So as he's getting ready, the the camera zooms in on uh, Chewie's face. And he's just like, and then there he is with the look of his face. And then slowly pulls out his dentures. And his dentures maybe fall to the ground. You have a shot of them falling to the ground. And then he goes forward, and as he's flying through the air like Mike, he has slow motion, he slams it down. And then as the uh, back of the basketball hoop opens up, as he's putting on his coat, really emphasize the wearing of the coat, because that's the meaning of the character. That's awesome. All right. <laughs> Sandy on Make a Movie for Jin, which means to recognize. Said is her school. And her props are a megaphone and an umbrella. That's exactly what we suggested, so that's what she went with. The uh, megaphone represents the speech component on the left, and the umbrella is the person component because it kind of looks like an umbrella if you look at the person component. So Rama, her friend, doesn't want to go to class. So she uses the umbrella to hide her face and went to the bathroom to hide there till the class is finished. <laughs> Good. Then when the school's megaphone called her name, or then the school's megaphone called her name and ordered her to return to class. So the only thing I'm worried about with this is I'm not, sh I guess she's going with don't recognize my face because of the umbrella, right? So the umbrella is hiding her face and making her not recognized. I would say that there should just be something a little bit clearer about this to, uh, you know, stand in for it. So like, Maybe what happens is – how about this? So instead of the megaphone coming from the school, she goes into the bathroom, and then it's when she moves the umbrella that she realizes there's a teacher in the bathroom who recognizes her in that moment. And in her recognition, she pulls out a megaphone and says, go back to class, you know, that type of thing. Um, because that's – that will make it a little clearer that what you're talking about, the main point of the story is recognition. All right, cool, nice. Sandy, again, on make a movie for uh, shi, which means to – it's also kind of recognized. It can mean – you know, it's it's sort of – ren shi is the word for to know somebody. Like I I recognize and un, and understand you. I know who you are. Well, ren shi ni. Well, ren shi ni. I know you, right? Um, and so she says uh, Nick is so creative because she's referring to Nick who's in the video. Although I don't know the actor uh, – that he smiles at in his scene. So mine are, yeah, because right, because Nick didn't know the actor this that you know aren't going to be the same as the ones that Nick, who joined the video, uh, would know. So he says, uh, she says, my props, megaphone, and Oliver Twist. Right, we went with Oliver Twist because the right side component is the full character for only, and uh, you know Oliver Twist only has the clothes on his back, and you know please uh, want some more. It's like sort of a, this is the only gruel that he gets. So. She went with the megaphone and Oliver Twist. Oliver Twist is sitting on the kitchen floor reading a book. And there is a couple of other books beside him when Shady, a bad guy from childhood, holds a megaphone next to Oliver Twist and tries to distract and bully him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that this is fair to say that this scene has everything you need in it, it regarding it. But there should just be... Um, there should be a little bit more emphasis on the main 
uh, meaning of the character. And so in the same way that you had it for recognize, you could do a little bit more to emphasize the meaning. I would recommend the same thing for this character. But your props and actor and set are all very clear, so it won't be too hard to edit. That's the thing about these editing scenes is essentially saying you still remember most things about this character, but you lost a couple of little details, so you're going to edit now. And that is so much better than starting from scratch, which is what you have to do with almost every other method of learning Chinese. So most people just write down the characters a lot. So guess what happens if you forget the character? Go write it down a lot again. That's what happens. But if you went, okay, I built up this scene in my mind, and the scenes are, A, way more memorable than writing it a bunch of times, um, and two, they if something was forgotten, it's just a piece of it. It's not the whole thing. You know, so that's uh, really important to recognize. Okay, another make a movie from Sandy on Ma, which means horse. So she goes with her props. Half horse statue, which is the top prop. A cigar and a toilet seat. And her she's in the airport for this one. Airport for A in Ma. Michael, who must be somebody she knows, is loading his bags, including the toilet and half horse statue, on the wheeling ring in airport in the airport that weighs bags before going on the plane. He puts the statue on the toilet, so the guy who was on the computer told him to put everything individually and throw away the cigar he was smoking with an angry face. Because <laughs> honestly, who flies a toilet from one country to another? <laughs> <laughs> so he went to move the statue with the cigar in his hand. Cigar touched the statue, uh, so the horse made this animal sound. And so Michael was so surprised that the cigar falls beside the toilet. And the guy behind the computer looked at him as he is crazy and ordered the airport police. So here's the thing. This is a great scene. Everything is good. But what can so easily happen here to really get across the idea that this is a horse that's the meaning of this scene, is when the um, cigar touches the horse statue, it turns into a real horse. And then imagine the scene of chaos in an airport <laughs> security if you had a horse. <laughs> What's this horse that just appeared here? <laughs> TSA is all mad. So, yeah, that would, be, uh, <laughs> that would be my suggestion for that one. All right, next we got Chad. Chad's... Uh, getting involved again this week. So Chad Wrestler on Make a Movie for Hun, which means very. So it's in his girlfriend's apartment. The EN and friend maps on to the EN in Hun. Uh, and he's in the living room because it's third tone. The actor is Hu Jintao, which is the uh, former president of China. And uh, that's uh, the representation of H. And then the props are Steven Seagal, as he would have looked in the movie Above the Law. <laughs> <laughs> and a sledgehammer. So those are the left side and right side components, respectively. I'm sitting in the living room of my girlfriend's apartment working on characters <laughs> when suddenly Hu Jintao appears saying he has been sent back to help me with this character. <laughs> Just then, Steven Seagal comes in and asks how he can help as well. Why not? Why don't Steven Seagal and Hu Jintao help you with your characters? You know, why not? Um... Just then, Steven Seagal, or, or sorry, I tell, I tell them I'm learning the word for very. And Hu Jintao uh, says that it's easy to remember. He stands in front of Steven Seagal with a sledgehammer and says that Seagal is not only fast, but very fast. Hu Jintao tries several times to hit Seagal with the sledgehammer, but he's able to deflect, deflect it every time. 
Hu Jintao reminds me to think of how Seagal was very fast if I ever wanted to remember the meaning of the character. So that's like so super meta that I can't even, you know, describe it. But he's going to remember that forever, no doubt about it. And he did a great job of handling an abstract keyword, right? The abstract, very, geez, that's quite tough to, you know, turn into something visual. But then, you know, the idea of all that. I mean, there's a lot of words in it. Obviously, Hu Jintao is saying a lot of things, but... I have no doubt Chad's going to remember this because it's such a zany scenario. So, like, the the more you can get interested in how ridiculous and outrageous the scenario is, the easier it is to let little details slide because the overall memory is still strong. Um, and it's not like there there aren't the main elements of the scene. Every every prop and every actor and set is all there. Next, we have Ija. Ija always comes up with good stuff for make a movie for Ja. Now, this is, again, a character that doesn't in and of itself matter that much, but it's a major component in other characters. And the keyword is, for the first time, the actor is Zachary Levi, in her case, to represent the uh, uh, the ZH. And then the props are the loser, Gandalf staff, and the parent trap twins. Good, good choice of the parent trap twins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The set is her previous apartment in Australia, which represents A. So, perfect. We got everything here. For this scene, I had my Zachary Levi directing the first rehearsal of Frozen the Musical in the backyard of my apartment in Australia. That seems like a great place to practice the, um, you know, Frozen the Musical. The twins were playing Elsa and Anna reenacting the scene from the Coronation Day with the song For the First Time in Forever. When Elsa said, tell the guards to open up the gate, the loser ran into the scene with Gandalf's staff, slamming it to the ground, and said cheekily, you shall not pass. So, <laughs> I never saw Frozen, uh, but if there's a song name that is for the first time in forever, and the keyword is for the first time, that's the perfect keyword connection. So, And uh, everything else works perfectly here. They're all memorable things. As usual, Ija is smashing it. All right, Natalia on Make a Movie for Xiang, which means each other. I want to share a story about each other. My Xi actress and her clone are exiting uh, from my ANG place. And so she's using a clone to duplicate her actress just to get another pair of hands. You're not going to be confused about that. It's still going to be your uh, XI Xi actor. A big eyeball flies up to them and speaks with a tiny voice. Follow me. I know where to get a Christmas tree. <laughs> just, just an eyeball coming up. Follow me. <laughs> the camera stays directed on the entrance. In a minute, both actresses return with a fir tree. The snow is, uh, is all on their coats and the hats, they start to clean up each other. Okay, so she's going with... Uh, they're cleaning each other up and that's how she's getting each other in there and uh you know i think it's pretty good i mean i think there may be some yeah i think it should work fine each other is quite uh abstract but uh the idea that they're cleaning off each other just make sure that you really emphasize that moment so you've got the the eyeball coming in that represents the right component you've got the tree coming in uh represents the left component and you know, they're involved in the scene. The last thing they do is they clean each other off. So slow motion, different camera angles, maybe some music, because for some reason, everybody's excited about them <laughs> cleaning each other off. I don't know. And so you go from there. Just make it very clear and you should be fine. Connor Griffith on Make a Movie for Jan. 
I already had Jackie Chan in the bathroom of my set, which is a dormitory. Uh, all the stalls are occupied, and the only hole left is a giant mouth. <laughs> so it's not even a toilet. It's just a giant mouth. <laughs> Jackie Chan takes takes a magic wand to force open the mouth and immediately relieves himself. So perfect. So the meaning of this character is uh, you know, to occupy. <laughs> and so I think it's fair to say that yeah, all the stalls being occupied, that's a very strong representation. So what I would just do is make the vacant occupied, you know, that green red thing that's there on the vacant and occupied, uh, the sign that says that, just make it really big and then have, maybe even have them all like turned occupied at that same moment. The only thing I would worry about with this one is that the props come in at the end and they're not relate. they don't create the meaning of occupied that's just sort of the state that things are in but it's such a ridiculous scene that as long as you pause for a moment on those occupied signs and maybe even across from jackie chan you can still see one in the final shot i think you're good no problem okay final make a movie for today is will henry on make a movie for sal which means to uh you know you can say sal to to scan uh wechat qr code um, which is a pretty common phrase these days, but the most common words used in is docile, which means like to clean up or like sweep, you know? So uh, my supervisor is sitting in the armchair of my AO set's living room and has a large pig nose <laughs> in the spot where his normal nose should be. That's the right side component. He explains to me that having a giant pig nose isn't so bad, except for trying to clean all the hard-to-reach areas. <laughs> Just as he says this, his index finger grows nearly a foot in length as he sticks it into his nose to clean it. Because, <laughs> of course, that's what Sal means he needs to clean. Great. Excellent. Nothing nothing uh, needs to improve in that scene. You can always add special effects to make it more memorable, but everything's involved, and uh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> All right. So, next we're going to get into some pronunciation slash miscellaneous questions to end off the podcast. First, we have Julian Laffey on New Vocabulary Unlocked, Pianyi. So he's doing really well. That's towards the end of the course. Note that this new pronunciation for this character, could you say something about it? Does this happen a lot in Chinese? So, of course, Pianyi, the first character is uh, Pian, which is normally pronounced Bian, B-I-A-N, fourth tone. Now it's P-I-A-N, second tone, Pian versus Bian, right? And that difference does happen sometimes in Chinese. They're called Duo in zi, which actually julian at your level you'll know all three of those characters duo means many or much in means sound and zi means letter so zi, or character in this case han zi. A zi means that there's more than one possible pronunciation for it now about 20 percent of all characters are zi. there's another possible pronunciation however the secondary pronunciation is often very rare and then if there's a tertiary pronunciation it's even more rare but occasionally you'll run into one that gets used fairly frequently as a secondary pronunciation and yes this does happen some of it has to do with the simplification so traditional characters might have a difference between them but simplified characters combined that only happens a few times but uh other reasons that there are is just that a character I mean, to, sometimes you can imagine as they were evolving the language, it's like, do we really need to make a new character for this? We could just change the pronunciation of this character, and then so you know it based on the context. I will say this about 
It can seem overwhelming. You can be like, what? There's another pronunciation for this even? And first of all, the reason we don't teach both of them right up front is because there's no need to worry about a less frequent secondary pronunciation until you're better, right? When you're better, then you can worry about it. And so when you're in your early stages, it's not necessary. But it's actually surprisingly easy to keep up with it uh, in my experience because you sort of start to pick up, okay, this uh, character, it has a a secondary pronunciation, but its secondary pronunciation is an adjective and normally it's a noun or it's uh, the secondary pronunciation is a verb and normally it's an adjective. So it's like, and in this case with pian yi, I don't even ever see that as bien because I, seeing it with that character, the secondary character, yi, that's, it's like so obvious to me. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, it's definitely cheap. That's what that, because pian yi means cheap or like inexpensive. And so it it doesn't even cross my mind. I don't like accidentally read that as bien anymore because your brain just starts to pick it up enough times. So uh, this does happen sometimes in Chinese. You don't need to worry about it too much. Just keep reading and, you know, we'll let you know if there's a uh, secondary pronunciation that is becoming important, especially once we expand the course. We'll have a lot of that stuff. So no worries. Next. Sandy on the make a movie for doi, which means to exchange. She says, is it fine that I sometimes remember the character but can't remember the scene so well? Yeah, that's fine because the scene is is merely a stopgap. That's what it is. It's meant to get you from I don't know anything about Chinese to I can read Chinese because anything that you see enough times, you remember forever, like if you get it enough times, right? So uh, I'm not going to forget how to say the in English, because I've said it so many times, it's it's just lodged in there. I'm going to have it until, you know, I die or have a brain disease. So essentially, you know, that's kind of how it works here too. If the scene caused you to remember it on the flashcard, and then you see that flashcard and you remember it, success, then you're going to see it in words. So you have another exposure. Then you're going to see it in sentences later. You're going to have another exposure. So you're going to have these constant exposures to it. And if the scene got you to the place of remembering it on the Anki card, then you succeeded. Now, if 10 days from now that same Anki card comes up and you've forgotten it, then maybe redo the scene. But only necessary if that happens. And Anki will tell you, Anki is your best friend in the end. Okay, Sandy on make a movie for Ma, which means yes or no. She says, a set for me is in the airport, so is it fine to make the scenes where the flights take off? And so, like, on the runway, I guess she's saying. Uh, sure. And I think she's referring to the fact that ma is a fifth tone. So, like, you know, it doesn't really – we don't have a, a clear rule for fifth tone with where that should be. It's really just – you know, we recommend on the roof sometimes. But if you didn't have any of your other scenes happening on a runway, that's perfectly fine. And, uh, you know, it, all that really matters is that you're clear on the borders. In my mind's eye, I'm in the airport. He, this area outside the entrance, that's where first tone happens, and I know exactly where that is. And then this area is inside the entrance, the security area. That's going to be second tone or whatever. Um, and then third tone will be somewhere else. Fourth tone will be in the bathroom or whatever. And, okay, fifth tone, where do I want this to be? Well, whichever one is unassigned. Whichever spot you have that you didn't already assign, you can put it there. So that's perfectly fine. All right. Wow. So there's a fellow named Nelson who left us a, uh, uh, a comment on phase one, how to learn characters faster than ever. Um, 
but I, I got to tell you, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his, his last name. It's, uh, it's uh, several words here, uh, so I'm not going to try. But you can see in the, in the show notes. Thanks for writing in, Nelson. This method of learning to speak, write, read and write Mandarin is great. I love it. After reading the, this first phase, I can identify pronouns and write tan, which is the character I used as an um, example. Above all, I understand what it means. Great work done by the originators of this method. I am grateful. So thanks, Nelson. You know, we have put a lot of work into this, and sometimes just people saying I'm grateful for this is like, you know, that's that's awesome. That's Gratitude goes a long way in life, in my experience. You know, just, oh, my God, I'm still alive and still get to do things. And, wow, like, you know, we get to communicate on the Internet and there's electricity and stuff. Wow. You know, just having some gratitude sometimes is really helpful in day-to-day life. John Sprague on nasal final wang, and uh, we specifically talked about the words wang and shuang, meaning to forget, and shuang means like, oh, awesome, that was, feels so good. Living in D.C., I have heard many, many second language English speakers try to use curse words, etc. It almost always goes badly, making them sound silly. If the subtlety of English curse word usage is any indicator, I should think to stay clear of Chinese curse words until I'm comfortably fluent. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. That makes sense to me. I mean, like, I don't really curse that much. I mean, a little bit in life. But, you know, I've done less so as I've gotten older. You know, the novelty wore off, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like, it, you'll you'll kind of figure it out as you go along. It's not hugely important to be able to curse in Chinese. And Chinese culture is a little bit more conservative than, you know, your average culture. So, you know, think people don't, I don't hear people cursing all the time, really. People don't curse that much at all, actually, that I, in my experience. But obviously, it's just the, the, the circles I run in. And of course, everybody's got their different circles. I'm sure that like teenagers curse all the time because it's like, that's their favorite thing to do. Keith Wilkins on Make a Movie for Jaw. He said, I thought the jowl meant to look. It means to look for. So like to find, really. And jowl dal meant to find. As dal, when it follows a verb, means a completed action. Subtle difference, I know, but I still had to ask. Yeah, so basically it jowl means to look for or to search for or find, right? So so the Chinese makes a pretty clear distinction between jowl is the process of looking for something. And jiao dao is defined because dao means successfully looked for, right? So um, successfully, whatever verb came before it. So to look for successfully means to find, right? So that's how that that works there. Okay. Um, Rosan Bishwakarma on Anki Dex Inside, level 12 complete. He is in replying to Deborah Jansen. um, And Deborah said, I found in analyzing along the way my approach to movie making that I was really struggling with fictional characters. So I tossed them all out and created animal characters, which worked so much better for me. Most of my sets are in Africa, so Mr. Buffalo and Mr. Hyena just made for more memorable movies. It increased my progress immensely. All this is to say that a solid process, which your course certainly is, allows nicely for tweaking to fit individual needs. Many thanks, and I look forward to that in the next levels. And Rosan replied to Deborah and said, thanks for this super helpful com- comment. I find that fictional characters, when they are cartoon or animated characters, to be difficult. We'll definitely check out your approach. Thanks for sharing. Nailed it. Now, fictional characters, there are a lot of them, which is part of the reason we chose fictional characters. And animals could be used as props, so we 
didn't want to make that the standard uh, for what we suggest. But the fact that Deborah's found success with that and that Rosan, as a result, read Deborah's comment and also found success with it is awesome. I'm really pleased that that's working for you guys because, yeah, you're getting that it's – we put together a system so that you can follow it. But if you understand the roots of the system, you can improvise. You know, That's how all improvisation works. You get the basic foundation and then you go, okay, well, I'm not – breaking the foundation by making this change as long as you understand what the foundation is when you don't get what the foundation is that's when you can run into some problems all right so next william admedes says that even though this story isn't long i was quite touched so this story is um it's one of the stories in phase four of the course that annie wrote that are meant to be tailored to your chinese level and uh it's called Myself and father, Baba. And so I'll kind of read through it here. My father is, uh, he works very hard. He doesn't have much time to spend with me. So he works uh, from the morning until. Uh, you know, through the afternoon. Xiaowu in Chinese means afternoon. and uh, But they take it quite literally. They're like, it's in this day and it's afternoon. It really just means PM, to be honest. Um, but when it comes to how they think of it in terms of spoken Chinese, until the sun goes down, it's Xiaowu. Whereas in America, anyway, we'll consider a part of the day where the sun hasn't quite gone down evening, but they don't really call it until the sun has completely gone down. So until then, it's Xiaowu. Uh, so that led to a phenomenon like, you know, the sun is going down at maybe like 7 o'clock here, 7.30 here in, in Chengdu. And so people will say, you know, 7 o'clock in the afternoon, which is not something that you would ever say in the States. It's way too late to be considered afternoon in the States, but in China, they'll say that. Uh, okay, so continuing. 下班以后，他觉得太累了。So after he gets off work, he feels too tired. 所以也不会陪我玩。So as a result, he won't uh, accompany me to play. 我每天一个人吃饭。我长大以后就去了别的地方。So he's saying, I every day I eat alone, and when I grow up, I'm going to go to another place. Yeah, I can see it's a sad story. 我得到了别人的帮助，开了一家公司。So I I got uh help from some other people and started a company. 到现在，公司至少成立五年了。So uh until now, my company's been established for at least five years. 我再也没有和我的爸爸联系过。So all this time. I still haven't, uh, I never contacted my father. Because I don't want to go back to life before. Five years later, I went back to my hometown. So my dad is uh, about 60 years old. Uh, we... Saw each other and ate a meal together. 
爸爸对我说了对不起。My dad said to me, "I'm sorry." 我才发现我一点也不讨厌我的爸爸。I finally realized that I don't hate my father at all. 相反，我一直都很爱他，也很像他。So that last bit means, on the contrary, I've always loved my father and missed my father. So I can see why、uh, William found this to be a touching story. Of course, it's a very touching story, and I think that's a lot of us. You know, if we have parents who, when we are kids, we wish they'd done more for us, and then we grow up and we realize, oh, they actually did a lot for us, and we just couldn't wrap our heads around it yet. That certainly happened with me and my parents, and you know,、uh, so that story, yeah, for sure. And isn't that cool, William, that you get this chance to be sort of touched by a story that is. That's just the characters. Like that's Williams reading it, and he's just reading the characters. Like that's not. There's no English. You know, that's me translating on the fly. What the way you get it in the course is just straight up characters. So that's amazing that that's possible. And William did it through the Mandarin Blueprint method. So as always, if you are interested in trying out the Mandarin Blueprint method, just go to mandarinblueprint.com. You'll see how to get started on it. It's、uh, an excellent course. It really has gotten great feedback the whole time, and、uh, we're going to continue to work on it and make it even more awesome. So, thank you very much for listening to the Mandarin Blueprint podcast. I'm Phil Crimmins, and we'll see you next time.